Are you ready? This is it. Hopefully. We're going to finish Galatians today. Oh, I know. We thought we should have been finished months ago. So we're going to try. Um, and this is one of those chapters. There's a lot of stuff. I've preached from it several times. So we could have stayed here longer, but um, we'll move on. Uh, but last week we wrapped up chapter 5, talked about exciting things like works in the flesh and the fruit of the spirit, and um, had more notes than normal. We made it through, it was a little longer, but um, so we're going to try to do chapter 6 all in one go, half of it is a goodbye, and you know, Paul, um, you know, sometimes it takes people a long, long time to say goodbye, you got any of those people? The well I suppose is. Well, I suppose, and then you don't leave. Uh, Paul takes a, takes a bit to say goodbye here, but um, anyway, we're going to try to get through it all. Um, we're calling it, uh, what are we calling it here? Bearing, sowing, and reaping, and not fainting. Uh, I couldn't think of a good title, so I just put everything in there. Uh, but the first bit we're going to talk about is bearing one another's burdens. So Galatians chapter 6. Uh, 1 to 5 is where we'll start. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Normally, when we talk about bearing burdens, we talk about or refer, we refer to helping others carry weights or concerns that they have, you know, praying for each other. And um, these are things that we should do. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. Uh, those are things we should do 100%. That's the theme all throughout the Bible, um, the New Testament. But we're going to look at this passage a little different um, in, in its context, which means in connection to all the verses around it. And so far, the overwhelming theme that we've talked about has been grace and the law, right? Um, freedom in Jesus, not being controlled by the law. And um, we just wrapped up chapter 5 talking about the difference between walking in the flesh or in the spirit. So verse 1 in the English Standard says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So here Paul's saying that there needs to be, or we should show some grace to each other. You know, if anyone's caught in any transgression or, or stuck in, in the sin or they're overtaken in a fault, another version says, it's our duty as the church and as the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters, to restore them. If, you, if your body has something wrong, you try to fix it. You don't just cut it off. You know, you try to repair it. Your body tries to fix it. That's what you do. You get cut, your body tries to, to heal itself. Um, so that's, you know, you don't just 
throw it away. Oh, I broke my finger. We don't need that anymore. Like you just, you try to keep it. You try to restore it as much as you can. And so um, if anyone falls into sin, it's our duty as a church. Um, our duty is restoration, not condemnation, not to destroy them, not to cast them out or publicly shame them or call them to the front of the church and say, hey, this is what Jeff's been doing this week. <laughs> Sorry, he was looking at me. The rest of you were too, but... You know, this is all. This is what this guy's been doing. Listing all the things. You know, that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, but you know, this is also different than someone who's just proudly living in sin. You know, you don't get caught in something if you're just proudly doing it. You don't get, you know, fall into something you're just wallowing in and celebrating. Um, that's the works of the flesh that we've already covered. So he's already said to avoid those things, but. Um, there will come a time when we will slip up, you know, nobody's perfect. There will come a moment where we fail and we fall. I know I have, and I assume you have at least once or twice. Uh, and it's our job as a church in those moments to restore these people instead of trying to destroy them. He said, if anyone is caught in sin, he said, you who are spiritual, the ones who are walking in the spirit, the ones who should have the fruit of the spirit, um, evident in their life, it's your responsibility to restore them. And he says, do it with, with meekness or with gentleness, with kindness and humility, not with a sense of self-righteousness or condemnation. Oh, well, I guess we'll help you out again, Wilma. Because you're just a mess. Here we go. You know, not like that. <laughs> not with any sense of self-righteousness, but with Meekness, why? He says, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Because this, Paul says, could happen to you. This could easily be you that falls, and easily be you that, that sins. And, you know, it's easy to throw stones. It's easy to see everyone else's faults and their failures and shortcomings and think, well, I'd never do that. And so Paul, he's warning them, you know, you need to be careful. You need to be nice and meek and gentle with these people when they fall, because it could be you. In other words, you know, treat them how you want to be treated. Treat someone struggling with kindness because that could be you tomorrow. Verse 2, then he says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So if we look at this a little bit different in this sort of sinning and, and works of the flesh and, and spirit for the spirit and all that, um, and grace and all that, Context: Jesus, you know, he bore our burdens, right? He took our sins to the cross. He bore our infirmities, the Bible says. And, and when someone does something wrong, um, there's often repercussions. There's consequences. Sometimes people get hurt. You know, not every sin, you know, doesn't have any, doesn't affect anyone. Like some sins, you know, they affect other people and they hurt other people. Um, and what's the law of Christ? We've been going on about it for ages. Grace, right? Love, um, forgiveness, redemption, restoration. That's what Jesus is all about. But grace is the foundation of all of that. So how does this apply to bearing burdens? What does this look like? Aside from, you know, regularly, you know, supporting and caring for each other and restoring them like we should, in light of all the things we've covered and in context with the overarching theme of grace versus the law, bearing burdens can often look like forgiveness and showing grace 
to people who have messed up and showing grace to people who have hurt us or have done us wrong and who may never ask for forgiveness. Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners. He died for us on the cross while we were sinners. And if I never repent, if I never come to him and I never ask him for forgiveness from my sin, that does not affect his love or grace that he's shown towards me. He's already bore my burdens. He's already paid the price. I still need to repent and all that. But on Jesus' part, he's already done the work of grace and redemption. So the law of Christ are acting like Jesus in this instance where someone has sinned and someone has fallen is to forgive and to show grace and to restore and to let things go. To literally take that burden on ourselves. They may never apologize and that's a burden we sometimes have to absorb and take as we follow Jesus' example. What did he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. The Old Testament law says when someone messes up, you get... You get destroyed. But the law of Christ says to forgive and restore. I don't know if that made sense in them. And so, again, why, why is this what we should do? In verse 3, he says, this is a good one. For a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. In other words, in the shepherd translation, because you ain't all that either. That's why. Because you're flawed too. You look at someone like Judas who was close with Jesus for all intents and purposes. He had it all together as far as anyone could tell. The other disciples, they didn't suspect a thing about Judas. You know, Jesus said, one of you is going to betray me. And they all said, is it me? Not one of them said, I bet it's Judas. They all said, is it me? They suspected themselves before they ever suspected Judas. But yet he was the one who fell. He looked like, you know, he had it all together. He thought he was something, but he, he wasn't. He deceives himself. The law makes us proud. It says, you know, I did this. I followed these rules. I've earned something. I've paid my dues. You know, I'm better than this person. Or I'm better than them. The law of Christ says, watch yourself. You're no better than them. You're deceiving yourself. At any moment, he says, you could fall too. And so we should show grace and be um, meek towards each other. Brother Wilbur, I heard him preach a message. I can't remember exactly how the quote went, but it was something like, don't you treat them any different just because sin broke them in a different place than it broke you. Because we've all got things. We've all got things we struggle with. And it's easy, oh, well, they're a mess because they did this thing. But really, we've all done things. So there's nothing worse than someone strutting around vain as a peacock because they think they're better than someone else who has fallen or struggling with something. Paul says you need to get over yourself. You think you're a big deal, you're not. You think you're something, you're not. The Bible says that you're nothing if that's how you're thinking. That's not grace. Again, back to legalism, but that's what legalism is. These types of people have done more damage to the church and her ability and reputation than the enemy ever has. It's people that just destroy others because instead of restoring them. So if you find yourself thinking like that, you know, I'm a big deal. I'm something. Slow down, hotshot. <laughs> There's just nothing according to the Bible. That's not my words. 
Galatians 6 and 4 says, Well, let every man prove his own work, and then um, shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So what does that mean? It means that we should compare ourselves to ourselves, not one another. We shouldn't try to make ourselves um, look good by making others feel bad. Because you can always find someone, you know, saying someone's always worse off than you. You can always find someone who's a worse sinner or whatever than you, who's you know, struggling with things that you aren't in all along better than that. And you can make yourself feel good that way. Uh, but we shouldn't try to make ourselves feel good by looking down on others and making others feel bad. The word prove there means to test or examine by reference to an objective standard. So it, it's to compare it to something else. And Jesus is what our standard is. And when we compare ourselves to him and not our fallen brother, we'll have a completely um, different story. We'll see that, you know, maybe I'm not all that in a bag of chips. In verse 5, it says, For every man shall bear his own burden. But I thought we were supposed to bear each other's burdens. Now, this looks like a contradiction to verse 2. I don't know if you noticed that before. Bear each other's burdens versus bear your own burden. And Paul is getting a little bit poetic here. He's playing with words. Um, but both of these words, burden, they come from different words in the Greek. I don't know if I put it up there or not. I did. Burden. So the one of verse 2, bear each other's burdens. Um, it comes from the word baros, which means weight or a burden. That's why it's called burden. But it's, um, it's used uh, as, a, as, prop, as a weight or a real substance, um, something that carries personal and eternal significance. It refers to a heavy burden, something that we can't necessarily carry on our own. Right? We already knew that. In verse 5, the word burden comes from the Greek word fordion, which means a burden and refers to the freight of a ship or how much a specific thing can handle, um, how much a ship can handle. It's also used um, as a burden which must be carried by one individual as um, a personal thing. And it's not something that can be given to someone else, transferred to someone else. It can't be shifted to someone else. It refers to an individual load, something like a soldier's pack that they would have to carry. And that's what that word means. So they both mean burden, but they mean different things. One um, refers to a big thing that you can't carry and you need someone to help. And the other refers to an individual load. And so while we are to bear one another's burdens, as verse 2 says, to help them and to support them and to show grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness and all of those things, we are also responsible for our own burdens, our own lives, our own selves. There are things that I am responsible for that I cannot pawn off on you. Right? I don't know I want to hear that sometimes. But there are things in my life that I am responsible for. We have some people you know, we got two kinds of people. We need to be the third people here. But we got two kinds. We got some people who only care about themselves. Well, I'm just going to carry my thing. I'm not going to help you when you're struggling with yours. I'm going to carry mine, and that's it. And then we got other people who only care about the others, and they got to help everyone. And then they neglect their own burden. You know, I've seen we've seen pastors and preachers give so much to the church that their own families end up being neglected. And saints in the church, too, do that. You know, they don't deal with their own 
burdens or their own things that they've been given um, because they're too busy with everyone else's. And I remember my pastor growing up, uh, his son backslid um, quite publicly. You know, sometimes we backslide and no one knows. It was, uh, <laughs> everyone knew. Um, and he was, he went through a, quite a, a rough time. He was drinking a lot and partying and, and all that. And given his parents just fits, you know, some of you know what it's like. And our pastor told a story one night. He was staying up, waiting for his son to come home from another party or whatever, praying and hoping that he came home safe because that's everyone's fear. Um, and in the middle of the night, you know, two or three in the morning, whatever it was, he stumbles into the house, um, quite far gone. And uh, the pastor, who was frustrated and worried, and he started asking his son these questions. You know, like what? Why are you doing this? You know, why do you keep? Do, why do you keep going out and drinking and partying and worrying your mother and I? Why I don't like? Don't you know what this is doing to the family? You know what? What's wrong? Why are you doing this? What have we done something? You know, is, is, what have we done wrong? That you know, questions that people have, and um, and the son said to him, he said, "You always had time for everyone else in the church." But you never had any time for me. And that's what sometimes can happen, even to the best of this pastor is one of the greatest men of God I've ever known, but yet his son felt neglected. He's he's come back to God now to worry about. He's fine. He's, you know, raising his family and church. And uh, but you know that that's sometimes that's what we do. You know, we bury everyone else's Burdens. We try to help everyone else. I'm not saying don't help everyone else. We do have to do that. But sometimes we can neglect the things that only you know that God's given us, because we all have our own burdens and our responsibilities and things that only we can do. We have our own souls to watch over, um, our own lives to lead, and our own decisions to make. And you can care for me and support me and encourage me and forgive me and show me grace and kindness. But when all is said and done, I need to make up my own. Mine, my own decisions. It's my burden. Uh, a guy said, "If my car breaks down and my name, my neighbor can help drive my children to school, but he cannot assume the responsibilities that only belong to me as their father." That is the difference. It is wrong for me to expect someone else to be the father in our family. That's a burden and a privilege that I alone can bear. So we've all got things that are our own personal things that we we have. And then we have things that are sometimes are bigger that we need to help each other with. Sometimes those personal things can become those other things. Um, but we do, we do have our own responsibility to ourselves and each other. Does that make is that clear? Amen. Not saying you know don't ask anyone to pray for you or anything. You know, that's they go together. And you also can't just okay, you know, if a soldier carrying their pack. Here you go, you can have mine. You know, it's going to wear the other person out. All right, now that we're at that controversial bit. Here's some more. Sowing and reaping and not being weary. I couldn't fit it on there. Galatians 6, uh, 6 to 10. This is, this is familiar, I think. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. 
Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that also shall he reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those who are the household of faith. And this is something I've preached and taught from before. Verse 6 simply tells us that if we're taught the word, we're supposed to share it back, spread the word. Kind of like uh, a sower, which is what he goes into next. I don't know what happened to my voice there. It's raining bells. Hallelujah. Now, the last lesson we talked about, um, the works of the flesh, we talked about the fruit of the spirit, and you can sow, he says here, after one, or you can sow after the other. And, and he says, in light of that, be not deceived, God is not mocked. So don't be fooled, God's not mocked. God knows what's going on. God knows what he's doing, he knows what you're doing. He knows he's not a fool. Um, people in the Galatian church, they were upset that these Gentiles were not following their rules and they were upset about their traditions being thrown off and things getting, being mixed up and stuff changing. Uh, and maybe they were worried a little bit about losing something with God or worried about missing out on something because things are different now. These Gentiles are messing everything up. And um, this is right after the part where he tells them to love each other, to bear each other's burdens, and support each other. And then he says this. So this all goes together. It's all tied together. And there will be times when we get frustrated with each other, with the church, with how things are going. Um, with people who have different ideas or priorities and we can get distracted by those things. We can be deceived and we can be led astray. Uh, living a life for Jesus, hopefully we know this by now, but it involves not putting ourselves first. It's a selfless life. If anyone thinks he is something, he deceives himself. Remember that from verse three? So if we think our thoughts and our ideas and our traditions and our wants and our needs and all that are more important than someone else's, then we're deceiving ourselves. And a few verses later, in verse 7 again, Paul says, be not deceived. These things are all connected. Um, so deception begins with a displacement of ourselves or when we put ourselves in the wrong place. Um, we put ourselves above God or each other or the church or our neighbors or whatever we are deceived. That's what legalism can do. It makes it all about me. But he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. So this is not a foreign principle to anyone here or anyone ever, I don't think. Jesus used, um, this, talked about the sowing and the reaping quite a bit. There's several parables about sowing and harvest and reaping. All you know, It's a theme throughout the Bible. Um, he says, God is not mocked. He has established this principle of sowing and reaping right from the very beginning. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. If you want to grow carrots, you have to plant carrots, not peas. If you want to grow strawberries, an acorn is not going to cut it, even though they grow everywhere. It's, you know, it's something simple. It's something we all know. Something we learn as a child when you first go to school and they give you a bean and you put it in a cup and you take it home. Or you knew it before then, sorry. Some of us grew up in the ghetto. But you don't go, you know, 
I said it before, but you don't go to an apple tree and get mad because there's no corn. And you don't go to a pumpkin patch and get upset because there's no blueberries. <laughs> or whatever, that's, that's ridiculous. Because we know that whatever you sow, whatever you plant, that's what's going to grow. Um, you know, sometimes you plant things and nothing grows. I've been trying to grow something in a pot on a windowsill for months. Nothing's, been, nothing's come up. Try it again, nothing came up. So my seeds are bad, I guess. But not everything you plant will grow. There's also that thing. So some seeds don't take, some seeds don't sprout, you know. Um, surely you've had this in a garden. You plant a whole row of peas, and then like half of them come up, and the other half just decides they don't want to do anything. You know, um, there's always that risk. Jesus talked about that in the parable of the sower. Some grew, some dried up, some were choked out. Some didn't, weren't planted deep enough. But the seed can only ever produce what it is. And the fruit that grows is always more than the seed that's planted. You, know, you can plant um, one you know, pumpkin seed, and you get a whole vine of them. You can plant one pea, and you get a whole, whatever they're called, bush, stock, I don't know, plant. <laughs> Got in too deep there. Didn't I know what I'm talking about? With several pods on it, and every pod's got more peas in it, you know. But it only produces what it what it is, and but it always brings back. You know, if it if it if it grows, it always brings back more than what you planted. But this has nothing to do with anything. So when you read the number of Jesus, what's Paul talking about? How does it apply to us? He says, in verse eight: uh, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption; but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit Reap life everlasting. So this is one of those parts of the Bible that we, we know. And it's a principle that we know, we understand, but we sometimes expect otherwise. And so um, the seed that he's talking about here that's being sown is our actions. So if we're going to do the wrong thing, if our focus is going to be on the wrong thing, on, on ourself, that's what we're going to reap. On our flesh, if we're going to sow that sort of thing, I'm going to reap that. If I'm going to sow in bitterness, I'm not going to get joy. You know, if I'm going to sow in anger and rage, I'm not going to go to that plant and get some peace, right? If, we're going to, if we sow division, we're not going to reap unity. If we sow envy and jealousy, we're not going to reap love. And so people were worried about what's happening in their, their church. And Paul's reminding them, you don't need to worry. God's in control. And if we keep sowing the right things, this will go the way that it should, but if we don't, it won't. Mind-blowing stuff. But what does sowing in the flesh look like? Well, you might remember this from last week. He just said it in the end of chapter 5. He said, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Not just these things, but things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So if we sow after that stuff, you know, some of that, some of those things are common sense. You know, everyone knows, well, I don't know, maybe not anymore, but 20, 30 years ago, everyone knew all that stuff was bad, and now everyone's all celebrated, but... Um, you know, we know most of the stuff that we can 
you know, we know we shouldn't be doing it. But we can sow seeds of it, you know, by what we do, by what we say, what we think about, what we talk about, what we joke about, what we watch. You can sow seeds of these things. Um, <laughs> Somebody said once, like, you ever notice, like, all the stuff that we entertain ourselves with is just, we just watch people sin. Like, that's what most TV shows, movies are, and somebody just sinning, doing the wrong thing. And we're just like, yeah, eat it up. Everybody loves Anyways, I'm not going to go into that. I'll be there a while. But, but we can sow seeds of the flesh. It might not look like those things right away, but we can start something small. I don't know if, I'm not going to go through them all again, but if we aren't careful, we can, we can sow these things instead of spiritual things. No one goes to the garden and plants weeds among everything else. I don't think you do. But yet we'll do that spiritually with our decisions, with our actions, with our thoughts, and our priorities. We'll allow other things to grow. We'll plant them willingly in our lives. And we could spend a you know, long time here, but we got to move on. But if we sow after the flesh, if we sow those things that he mentioned in chapter 5, our harvest is going to be the result of that. He said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that will he reap. This is something that we know, but it's something that we can get away from. And But um, like usual, there's always another choice. So the other choice, this is going to work, it's dying on me. Verse 8, again, it says, For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption. That's one choice. The second is, But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So what do we sow in the Spirit? Well, we mentioned the fruit of the Spirit earlier. It said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so these are things that we can sow in the Spirit. We can grow in the Spirit just... But not just those, but also you know, just following and living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, making choices that are beneficial to our spiritual health and not just our flesh or our physical health. Our health. So these are the things that we need to decide on what are we going to sow after. Because whatever we sow after, that's what we're going to reap. And so verse 9, he says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And trying to do all these things can get weary. We've talked about this before, too. This was an easy part, because I've done this. We talked, um, you know, it can get tiring, you know, doing the right thing. Um, it doesn't come naturally. Sowing in the Spirit can be an exhausting thing. Holding back, not giving in to fits of anger when people push your buttons and do it on purpose. Not giving in to bitterness, not allowing these things to grow. Praying, you know, making time to pray, making time to fast. These are not things that come easily all the time. It can get tiresome, and it can get tiresome not sowing after the flesh because it's easy to sow after the flesh. These are the things that we would do naturally. So we don't, you know, there's no warning about getting weary and wrongdoing because that's the easy thing to do. It's very easy, I've said this before. It's very easy not to live for God. All you have to do is nothing. And then you're, you're, you're good. That's all you got to do. Stay home. Don't do anything. And you got her, you got her down. In case you're wondering how. There you go. 
give you some tips. But living for God, doing the right thing is work a lot of times. You can't be lazy and live for God. That's how we can get weary because it is work. It gets tiring sowing the right things over and over and over. And when you look around, it, you know, sometimes it seems like no one else is or no one else seems to care and it's exhausting. You know, if you're the only person in your family and, you're, and that's trying to live for God and you have to endure criticism and comments, oh, you're going to church again, what's wrong with you? Or whatever. It's wearisome when your kids fight you to come to church because they think it's boring. And that's from mine. And I'm the one that preaches. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> I get weary while doing We all do, I think. And sometimes you may think, you know, what's even the point? I've been doing this so long. I've been praying so long. I've been fasting so long. I've been this kind of person. been kind to this person forever. I've been patient. I've tried to keep the peace. I've been faithful for years. I've been working on this so long. And there are times when it just gets too much and we get, we get weary. We get weighed down with life and people and circumstances. And sometimes it doesn't seem like the fruit is growing. Um, sometimes it doesn't seem like anything is happening. And sometimes it doesn't seem like it's worth it. Because, you know, nothing seems to be happening. And in those times we can be tempted just to throw in the towel and start sowing some of the other things that come easier to do. Sometimes rivalries, anger, and jealousy. You know, why is, we'll start sowing that because why is this happening to them, why is that church growing? Why is this person moving forward? You know, why is this um, family seeing these things happen and I'm not? And we can so those sorts of things. Um, some people will turn to drunkenness or immorality or a different vice. You know, some people cause divisions because they're just tired and just whatever. And we get worn out, weary. According to the Greek lexicon, means to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out or exhausted. Just plain tired. Nothing left. You know when you have a baby and they're up all night, then you gotta go to work the next day, and they do that for 14 years. <laughs> Sometimes we just get tired. We get worn out. Just completely exhausted. We've been doing the right thing for so long and we're just tired. We've been sewing for so long. And sometimes, uh, but sometimes things take longer to grow. Some seeds take longer to germinate. A lot of fruit grows on trees. Trees don't spring up overnight. Trees take time. You know what grows fast? Weeds. Those stinking things. Always growing. Everywhere. I don't even, they just travel. And so, generally the works of the flesh They'll get you some something back quicker. You know, they, they grow faster. Results will be seen quicker. So, you know, you want to cause, a, you know, division, for example. You want to do that. Well, you can get results really quickly. Just start saying some things. And then we got a scene. Oh, that was fun. You know, then, because, but I've been praying for years and nothing's happening. You know, that's the way it is. The, the bad stuff seems to grow quicker. I'm going to get way off this, so I'm going to go back. Some of us, you know, um, sowing certain things are difficult, depending on, on the fruit. Um, some of us, you know, we, we come, we're more pessimistic in nature, 
our upbringing or just our personality or whatever. And, and so joy and, and faith maybe don't come as, as easy. Maybe that's something we, we need to sow a little more after. And some of us are naturally confrontational. We like to get, you know, people all worked up and we, we don't have any problem arguing. And, um, and so peace sometimes doesn't come so quickly for us. You know, we got to work at it. But he says you need to keep sowing in the spirit. Keep sowing in the spirit. Keep praying, keep fasting, keep being faithful. He said, let us not be weary well doing for in due season we will reap if we faint not. So if we can hold on and be faithful and keep sowing the right things, sowing in the spirit, you're doing the right thing, be faithful, keep doing it, because eventually those seeds are going to grow. Eventually there's going to be a harvest that comes from that. Eventually you're going to see what God can bring from that. If we faint not. Now, faint means to loose, to release, or to grow weary. It means just to, it's talking about like a, a bowstring that's just got nothing left. And you pull it back and it's, it's just too stretched out again. It doesn't do it anymore. Just giving up. And that's what fainting is. Just, you know, spent. I've got nothing left. But if we can not faint, if we continue to sow the right things, we will see them grow. But so many people just get tired. They get worn out and they quit and throw in the towel because they just can't do it anymore. Paul talks about running a race. Everyone starts a race. Oh yeah, I'm going to do this. The longer it goes on, the harder it is. So we got to keep sowing. Don't faint. We could be here for longer if you want, but we got to move on, I think. Verse 10 says, as we have therefore opportunity. Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. So Paul says, we've got an opportunity here. Let's do good. Let's sow the right things. Let's do the right things, especially to those who are with us in faith. And especially to our brothers and sisters, we should treat them right. And that's that. And then we're going to end with a benediction and conclusion. I wanted to use a fancy word. A benediction it's kind of a blessing that's said at the end of a message or a service. And so Paul is concluding this letter. He says, don't get tired doing the right thing. Keep doing the right things. So we're just going to read the rest. It says, ye have, or sorry, it doesn't say that at all. It says, ye see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. As many as desire to make a fair Show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of, cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. For God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. For as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We've almost made it to the end. Just a little bit more. Verse 11, he said, You, have, you see how large a letter I have written unto you with my own hand. Now this verse is a little strange. A little vague. What's he even talking about? Um, one explanation it's one of those verses that people can't agree on. But one explanation is um, 
And Paul has a habit of dictating letters, which is why you'll often see at the beginning of the letter, it'll say, from Paul and Timothy or Titus or whoever, Paul and this guy, so-and-so went to the church and such-and-such. You know, that's how a lot of his epistles start, because he would dictate them. And then at the end of the letter, he would, if you, ever, if you read through the epistles of Paul, you'll find like the end is just a bunch of random stuff a lot of times. Like Thessalonians, it's just like, pray without ceasing, do this, do that, just a bunch of stuff that he's kind of just given them. So what they believe is that at the end of the letter, Paul would take over and he would write his farewells and conclusions with his own handwriting. So verse 11 just kind of points that out a bit. You know, he's look how big these letters are that they're making. He's talking about not the, the letter in length, because this is his longest letter by far. Um, he's talking about you know, the size of his font, not the length of his epistle. It could be referring to that. Another is this letter was written in Greek. Paul was Hebrew. Greek was not his first language. And so especially you know, when it came to writing, you would learn to speak at first. And so it could also be seeing as this was one of his first letters written, that his letters in Greek, he was writing them bigger and cruder um, because he wasn't entirely used to writing in Greek. You know, when you learn your alphabet, you don't write as small and fine as you do now. You're writing them big letters. And so it could be that. It could be a combination of both. Um, you know, that's why maybe he dictated his letters because he wasn't as comfortable writing in a language, the language as he was in speaking. It doesn't really... Um, change anything one way or another but just gives us a little insight in, into Paul's life if you're interested in that verse uh, 12 to 13 says it's meant for <laughs> trying to get through it in tongue time saying the wrong words as many as desire to make a fair show with the flesh they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of cross of Christ for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. So he's kind of just touching on the law again before he goes because we haven't mentioned that yet. And he says those, he says, who want to look good or who make a good showing in the flesh, he said they're forcing you to be circumcised or to follow the law. Um, and the reason why people were pushing this is because they were afraid of persecution themselves. In this case, the persecution when it came from the, the Jews. The main thing that got the Jews angry was the teaching that with Jesus' death on the cross, the law was now no longer relevant. And so they took offense at that, because that was their tradition, that was their upbringing, that was their identity. And so instead of standing up to the Jews that they were a part of and they were coming out of, the Jewish Christians decided to deflect it onto the Gentiles. Cowards, you see. And so that's, that's what this whole thing's been about. And it says again in verse 3 that they couldn't keep the law themselves. They only want to have control over you. They only want to be able to say, oh, look what I did in their life. They want to be able to say, look what we did. We made these Gentiles follow the law. Aren't we grand? And that is what legalism is all about. I thought we were moving on from it, but it's back here at the end. Boasting and making people change. Oh, look how great we are. We got Sherman all cleaned up. Whew. You should have saw him before we got a hold of him. He was a mess. We got him all tidied up. Oh, look at him now. And that's what it's all, that's what they're trying to do. 
Who would have that picked on yet? This is boasting and making people change and making them like you. He says in the English standard for 14 and 15, he said, but far be it from me to boast. So they want to boast in what they're doing and making the Gentiles be like them. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to be an eye to the world for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation or a new creature. He said, I've got nothing to boast in except for Jesus. He's the one that's done the work. The law, the circumcision, whatever, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't mean anything. He says, I'm not, in other words, he said, I'm not circumcised or uncircumcised. I'm not Jewish or a Gentile. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creation. I'm something completely different. And that's a powerful statement. That my identity is not in anything else now. It's in Jesus. And our world right now is very um, focused on identities and pitting one against the other, this against that, races and genders and politics, all everything, anything you think of. We're trying to divide and cause it. But he's saying the, the principle here still applies. I'm not one of these or the other. I am a new creature. I'm something completely different in Jesus. And that's a powerful thing. Um, we should get a hold of, I think. That's what Paul said. I'm not this or that. I am a new creature in Jesus. So the last few verses, he says, um, did I miss that one? I don't know. 16 says, As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. 17 says, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit. Amen. And so, um, to everyone who lives by this rule, he says, that walks according to this rule in verse 16, that we're, um, that we're neither Jews or Gentiles anymore, but a new creation that lives by grace. He says, peace and mercy be to you. In verse 17, one of my favorite verse in the whole book, from henceforth let no man trouble me. Don't bother me anymore. Leave me alone. I've said my peace. <laughs> Paul's done. He's closing the book. Don't come at me again with any more of this legalism stuff. I've settled the debate. We're done. And he's like, he says, I've buried my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. You know, he's been beaten, he's been hurt, arrested, and all he's got battle scars. He's fought for this. And he's said all he's gonna say on the matter. Don't come at me anymore. <laughs> One of my favorite, I don't know if you know, Brother David Bernard, he's the superintendent. And um, he has like a Facebook page that he posts things. And people always go on there and try to argue with him. Because, you know, whatever. And he's always like, oh, I encourage you to read my book that I wrote on. And he just wants to answer, like, why don't you go read this book? I already covered this. And he's got like, I don't know, 30 books or something. Right? I've already covered it in this book. Why don't you go read this book? I've said enough. Go read it. And if you have any more questions, come back. This is what Paul's like. I've already written this all out. I've already said all these things. Don't bother me with it anymore. He said all he's going to say on the matter. And so he signs off with what? He says, grace be with you. That's what this whole thing's been about. And that was the book of Galatians. We're done. What did we learn? Grace, not the law. Grow up. You're free. Sow the right stuff. Let the Holy Ghost work. Bear each other's burdens. Don't faint. 
Don't talk to me about it anymore. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good way to end the letter. This is what I said. Nobody bother me anymore. Anyways. We're done. Thankfully. We'll start it over again in the new year. What do you want to do next? Revelation? <laughs> All right, let's pray before we get in trouble.